0: I'm rolling. Are you rolling?
1: Yeah, I just want to say, I really do miss you. I miss swinging by your house. Well,
0: you have a car. You can come by. We can socially distance swing.
1: I know, but I'm always just like in the neighborhood. I'm like, are you there? I have five minutes. So I'm coming upstairs.
0: <laughs> mostly to pee. You barely say hi or take <laughs> your coat off, and then you turn and walk back to rehearsal. <laughs> um, you guys. Before we get to the show, just a couple reminders. Look, join our Facebook group. It's, girl, what's it
1: called? It's called Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. I honestly, you are a very smart person. I honestly don't know why you can't remember that
0: can't remember it. And then also follow us on Instagram because every Friday night at 6 o'clock we go live to hang out, to let Ellen make fun of me, and to talk about like the case and just kind of like be with you guys for like a half hour or so. Girl, what's the Insta handle?
1: <laughs> the disappeared pod. <laughs> you're so cute. Your face, you're just like, what's the disappeared in? <laughs> You've
0: decided to be nice to me this week. You haven't even yelled once yet. We're a
1: minute and eight seconds in. Give me time. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha,
0: Oh my God, you guys, this episode is so completely bonkers. It's called The Most Hated Woman in America. I was convinced it was about Ellen. You guys, it's not.
1: Turns out it's not about me, but you guys, I just took a fistful of beta blockers, and I encourage everyone to do the same eat a well balanced meal, take a walk around the block, count to a zillion, pop an edible, jog around the corner, listen to some jazz. We have a non-stop flight to Crazy Town. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Buckle your seatbelts. hunker down and pray for daylight. Here we go.
2: Madeline Murray O'Hare was a fearless iconoclast.
3: You're dealing with a very stubborn woman, and I'm going to tell it to you whether you like it or not.
2: Who eagerly took on the establishment.
3: She was very, very intelligent, but she was also a very confrontational woman. You will not continue to talk Yes, prayer. ma'am, I will. Please leave the council chamber.
2: She had many admirers. Don't touch me. But many more enemies. She was a fiery person. She did not have a problem with getting in somebody's
4: face. Let's let them have their ticky-tacky Jesus Christ. Have you seen it? It's gringy and cheap. People were either fond of her or they hated her.
2: When she inexplicably disappears with two members of her family, rumors flew.
3: The conventional wisdom was that they had probably run off with almost half a million dollars of atheist funds.
5: It almost looked like the perfect plan, but no matter who you're looking for, rich or poor, infamous or not, people make the same mistakes.
2: Has she fled with ill-gotten riches? Or has a
5: rival found vengeance? dealing with a couple of pit bulls if you slap one in the face they're gonna bite you and finally silenced her i would describe him as a psychopathic killer a
2: four-year investigation uncovers a story that is truly stranger than
5: fiction
0: Right at the top, we meet this woman. Her name is Madeline Murray O'Hare. She is my kind of girl. She looks like the Wicked Witch of the West, all grown up, and she's here to scream about atheism.
1: All right, I just want to say, Madeline, they refer to her as outspoken, right? I was like, this woman- She has no fucks to give. Like, there was a sale on fucks, and she's like, nope, I already got them for a price. I'm keeping my fucks. I'm not giving them. Like, just get ready, you guys. You really saw
0: that joke through. you really committed. I'm really proud of you right
1: now. I mean, just like, I just, she is just a honey badger. I
0: know. So it's August 28th, 1995. We're in Austin, Texas. Super cute town, by the way. I
1: have not been to Austin, but I really, really want to.
0: I'm not saying it's as cute as Portland, girl. Please don't come for me. I have to survive this.
1: (laughs) You know, I actually didn't know this, but I thought an atheist was someone who didn't believe in God, but it's just actually someone who, like, questions all authority.
3: An atheist is a person who questions every kind of authority, because if we can question the ultimate authority, God, who must be obeyed we could
1: question anything. Did you know that? No. That sounds yeah. like an
0: anarchist. What's the difference between an anarchist and an atheist? Did you look up the wrong word, girl? No,
1: I didn't. They said it in the documentary. Come for me. Yeah. Come for me again. Oh, Come for no. me again. <laughs> no, Do no, it. no,
0: no, no. You're right. Because she says the whole thing about like being an atheist is that like if you question the authority of God, then you question all authority.
1: Right. I just I never actually thought of it that way, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Okay, so we are learning all about what they're calling an outspoken atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare. And this woman and her family suddenly just, like, leave town.
2: In 1995, the outspoken atheist Madeleine Murray O'Hare suddenly leaves town, along with her son, John Murray, and her granddaughter, Robin. The three have been running American Atheists, a nonprofit group based in Austin, Texas, In late August, John leaves a cryptic note for the staff saying that they have been called out of town on an emergency.
1: Right. So they allege that they left a letter (laughs) that says we're just going to be out of town for like, I don't know, like. Two weeks or something. <laughs>
0: Cannot tell you why, though. Cannot tell you where we're going. No further information, but like, don't expect to hear from us for like two weeks, girl.
1: Here's what's weird the staff was calling them. Right. You know, John and Madeline and Robin, and they were answering the phone. They're like, okay, I guess that's weird that they left, but they're answering their phone, so like, everything must be cool.
2: During that time, atheist staff members periodically call the Ohanners, reaching them on John Murray's cell phone. But the 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 O'Hares never reveal where they are or what they're doing.
3: And again, they were reassuring that everything was okay. So, okay. So, they were supposed to be gone for
0: two weeks, and now it's like, all of a sudden, it's stretching into like a full month. And like, I'm trying to imagine what those cell phone calls are like, where it's like, hey girl, thanks for letting us know that you're going to be gone for four weeks. You still don't want to give us any idea of where you are though, girl? <laughs>
1: they're like, yeah, no, we're just we're just hanging out, got to go. And right. they're just like, okay, well, he <laughs> answered
0: the phone. And then they say, like, starting September 29th, that year, the calls to the cell phone just ended. September 29th was the last time anyone heard from them. This is
1: the time where we go back in time and give a little uh, historical structure to who this badass Madeline is. Totally. And I mean badass, like some people think she's a badass, but she has a lot of enemies too.
2: As the godmother of American atheism, Madeline Murray O'Hare had no shortage of enemies.
1: All Christians are rude, intolerant, insulting. In
2: 1964, Life Magazine dubbed her the most
0: hated woman in America. The most hated woman in America. Girl!
1: I mean, honestly, I was like a little savage 1964, but okay, like we'll take it.
0: So we're with Madeline in 1964. Girl, she does not like Christians. No. She does not like them.
1: She'll make a speech about it. She was a Baltimore housewife. Yeah. And she filed a lawsuit against the Baltimore public school system regarding prayer in school. So that sort of, like, launched her into the political spotlight. I mean,
0: that's the thing. Her son is coming home from school saying, like, hey, Mom, I think it's kind of weird that we, like, read the Bible and pray every single morning before classes. These kids are reading the Bible in school. That sounds insane to me. Yeah, And it also sounds insane to Madeline, and she was not fucking taking it anymore.
1: No, and so she was part of a Supreme Court case. They voted 8-1 to in favor. Today, the United
0: States Supreme Court ruled that it violates the Constitution to require reading the Bible or reciting prayers as a religious exercise in public schools.
1: But of course she was going to piss people off along the way. Madeline was having none of it, and she won. When
4: this came as a tremendous shock to most of America, and it instantly put Madeline Murray O'Hare in the cultural spotlight, which she relished.
3: I don't care whether I succeed or whether I fail as long as I'm trying. I hope that I
0: succeed. I love her, but she seems like the kind of lady who'd be different difficult to wait on.
3: <laughs> like, I would not want to
0: be her waiter. <laughs> you know That's,
1: right? That is such a good point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not.
0: And you know what? She does not need to hear the special. She is ready to order. Yeah, She came ready to order, and she would like her
1: dinner now, please. She's going to send that shit back. Yeah. And then you're going to comp it, and then you're going to also give her dessert. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is where we meet um, P.I. Tim Young.
5: When somebody like that goes missing, people develop all of these scenarios that are incredible. Some of the speculations were that the Vatican had hired hitmen to kill them.
0: I love him. And he's telling us that, like, after the family disappears, there's a lot of speculation about, like, what happened to them. So there's a lot of, like, did they leave on their own or did something bad happen to them? And they're saying that, like, because Madeline was so hated for being an atheist, there was, like, the speculation was that the Vatican hired a hitman to kill her. I was like, that seems like a lot for the Vatican. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And also, a lot of people were drawing their own conclusions, but Madeline was 76, she had diabetes, she had a heart condition, so everyone is kind of going in all kinds of directions as to what happened to them.
0: One of the ideas was that she was dying and that they were, like, secreting her away to bury her right. so that none of those dirty Christians would pray over her. Can you imagine? <laughs> this is something that, like, does not get resolved for me. I have questions about this in the end, because they say that, like, they believe that Madeline and the family had been, like, scheming and stealing from... From that atheist organization because they learned that like there's six hundred thousand dollars that is in like some new zealand bank
2: they were preparing to actually leave the country they had moved approximately six hundred
0: thousand dollars to new zealand and they were making arrangements to leave the country. Put a pin in that, because I've got questions about it at the end.
1: So, they go and they check their home in Austin, and of course, weird stuff. Their passports are left, their meds are there, the dogs are there. That's always a big red flag.
0: Unless you're Michelle Whitaker, who just, like, up and fucking left her dog. Look, I'm glad Michelle Whitaker's alive. She left her dog. That was really garbagey, Michelle. Yeah. If you're listening, girl. <laughs> Don't leave your dogs, girl. Just call your mom and say, can you watch the dogs? I might be disappearing soon.
1: I think she probably is listening, you guys. She's out there.
0: You could didn't have told the pipe fitter to go feed your dogs. He drove you all the way to the truck stop and gave you all that money. Tell him to get on his motorbike and go feed your puppies. I just have one question. Like one of the things that when they went to look at the house and they found the dogs and the passports and the prescriptions and they're like,
2: even two hundred seventy dollars worth of new groceries that the O'Hares left behind.
0: And I was like, how did you guys calculate that figure? Did somebody be like, hey, uh, can we get a second agent over here? All right, the milk is like a dollar forty-eight. We got <laughs> yeah. some lettuce over granola
1: here. Bars. Granola bars. How much are granola bars? <laughs> I don't know, like three seventy nine. Okay, all right, great. Berries. Are they organic? Not organic. Okay, I don't know. Say two ninety nine.
0: And they land on a perfectly round figure of two hundred and seventy dollars. That like, is
1: so funny. <laughs> club soda? No, it's no name brand, girl. Two twenty nine. Write down two twenty nine. Don't round it up. It's two twenty nine.
4: And it really didn't look like a well planned exit, so that kind of cast doubt on the on the voluntary disappearance. Months go by without any word from the O'Hares.
0: Passports are there, which is a definite indication that they didn't go to New Zealand, you guys. You can't get there without a
3: passport.
1: Right. So we meet probably the Garbia Gist person in this documentary. You guys, buckle in. We meet the Assistant Attorney General, <laughs> Jared Garuth. He is horrible. I. It was. He's the most callous <laughs> man. First of all, I mean, like, he's just a sociopath. He's like... <laughs> hardly nobody noticed they were missing. And if they had, they were probably glad they were gone. (laughs) Okay, Jerry. I hope you investigate my disappearance, you apathetic douche canoe. Well,
4: frankly, hardly anybody noticed they were missing and many were probably glad they were gone.
0: And our narrator, who, by the way, somebody put a picture of the narrator in the group, and apparently he's like an actor-producer. He's very handsome. Our narrator says,
2: For a while, the case of the three missing atheists appears to be
0: forgotten. The case of the three missing atheists.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a musical. They're like, we're atheists and there's three of us and we've gone missing and there's atheists. I don't believe in God. Do you, know you? No, you? Know you? Know you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The three missing atheists. What are you doing this summer? I don't know. I I got I am going on tour with the three missing atheists. You know that, of course. And I'm probably just gonna do summer stock, you know, just here and there. So, like, look, they're
0: just gone. No one's looking for them. You guys, it is a year later. A year. Imagine you're missing for a year and no one looks for you. No
1: one looked. They just dropped it. That blew my mind.
0: So it's one year later and we meet this guy, John McCormick. He's like a local reporter. And he says, my boss basically came to me and was like, it's been a year since those O'Hare's went missing. Do you want to like look into it? My editor said, you know, it's been
4: about a year since Madeline Murray O'Hare disappeared. Why don't you go see what's up? And I'm thinking, I didn't even know she was gone. She'd become that obscure. So we published a story written by me about how this $620,000 had disappeared from various atheist funds about the same time the O'Hare's had disappeared. And it, it didn't draw any conclusions. It just said big mystery.
1: Yeah, but I just love how it's like a slow week. And I just imagine them at their desk and they're like, what you writing about? Nothing. What right. you writing about? <laughs> Nothing. What about those three missing atheists? Should we do you remember those? Just out of the blue.
0: What about those three missing atheists? <laughs>
1: And then they just all of a sudden revive the case a year later. Yeah.
0: And so this is when P.I. Tim enters the scene.
2: Not long after the article appears, John McCormick gets a call from a private investigator named Tim Young.
4: And Tim said, you know, I find people for a living. This is what I do. I can find the O'Hares." And uh, he said, I'd like to work with you.
1: P.I. Tim sort of like fancied himself like a really good P.I. Because he's like... It's not going to be that hard. Right. And then he goes, I was wrong. I was wrong. Like he had all the confidence in the world and then his hindsight is like, oh no, actually it was really hard. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, 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 actually, it was really hard. So, But this was the thing, like, McCormick, the journalist, and P.I. Tim, they decide they're going to work together, and, like, our voiceover narrator guy tells us that, like, these two guys, who are not cops, are the first people to ever launch any kind of actual search, and they are not getting any help from law enforcement. At
1: all, which is fascinating. Uh, You guys, you're going to grow to hear my love for P.I. Tim, because P.I. Tim is so accountable through this whole documentary. Like, first of all, he's like, I thought it wasn't going to be that hard. And then he's like, you know what I had to do? I just had to figure out their plan.
5: When you're looking for a person who's purposely trying to hide, you don't necessarily look for the person. You look for the plan. In that plan, they made mistakes, and it's those mistakes that lead you to the missing person every single time.
1: Anyone who goes missing had a plan. They had a plan. I'm going to find out their plan. I'm going to find out what their plan was. Actually, no, they had no plan.
5: The more that we dug, the more that we realized there was no plan.
1: Right? Like, he is just so
0: accountable at all times. I know. And so Tim is saying to us, look, you got to look at the phone records. You got to get all the records you can. I don't know how they got access to these records because they tell us they are not getting any help from law enforcement. Somehow they get all these records and they're like, huh, weird. We're looking at, like, John, the guy with the cell phone. We're looking at all the calls he's making and, like, he's calling all these places in San Antonio. When we
5: first got the phone bill, none of it made sense. They were calling... Jewelry stores, coin dealers, the La Fonda restaurant and catering,
1: Blockbuster
5: Video.
0: Jewelry stores, coin dealers, bars and lending institutions.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing a very important call. Did
0: you think I wasn't getting to Blockbuster?
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> blockbuster Video.
0: You know the one that I thought was the most important was La Fonda restaurant and catering? <laughs> Look, you got to eat, girl. But
1: the thing that. Do narrow down is all of these places are kind of within a one mile radius of each other in San Antonio.
0: Yeah, and so like right now it kind of looks like this family, the O'Hares, stole the six hundred thousand dollars and then like moved to this block in San Antonio where they're like hiding out. That's like what it looks like now.
1: They also find out tracking the number. They also found out that John sold his car for like way less than it was valued at. Yeah, and then I love this part too. So remember Ellen, one of the board of directors. Of the atheist group. John calls and was like, hey, this isn't weird at all. I know I've been missing. Um, it's totally cool. Everything's great. I need you to use a Dropbox and just like right. le- leave me a bunch of blank checks. And I said,
3: no, no, I'm not going to send you blank checks. But, you know, he had reassured me so much that I eventually did send them. No, no,
1: I'm not gonna do that. I mean, I did it, but like, i would like in the same breath. No, I'm not gonna give you blank checks. I mean, of course I gave him the blank checks. He asked for them, but I thought it was weird.
0: Because, you guys, just remember, this poor Ellen woman, who looks like a million bucks, by the way. She really got dressed up for her interview. Yeah, she did. She's one that saw the note that said they were going to be gone for two weeks for no reason. She's, like, fielding the calls where he's like, hey, girl, we're definitely gone. Not telling you where or why. Next call. By the way, the two weeks is now four weeks. Still can't tell you where I am or why. No reason, girl. <laughs> if you could just drive to Houston and in the middle of the night leave, like, a trash bag full of blank checks in a garbage can on the corner of 5th and Wise Avenue, that would be amazing. And Ellen's like, no, girl. I mean, I did it, but no. (laughs) So we hear from McCormick, the reporter, and P.I. Tim, you guys, they hit the streets of San Antonio. These two are not taking it lying down. They are going out into the field. They are going to find these people.
2: A year after the O'Hares were last heard from, McCormick and Young hit the streets of San Antonio, trying to retrace their steps.
5: We started visiting some of the places that they were calling and showing photographs and pictures.
1: Remember, guys, this is a PI who has no link to police, no link to FBI, and a reporter. These are just Joe Schmoes. Totally. So they go to a jewelry store to a gemologist. So Corey Tickner has this jewelry shop, and they go to this guy, Corey, and they're like, hey, have you seen this family? Corey doesn't say a word. (laughs) He doesn't bat an eyelash. He reaches into his pocket, and he hands them his attorney's business card he just reached
5: into his pocket and handed us his attorney's business card and said you need to talk to my attorney and mccormick and i look at each other and we knew we had something big
1: <laughs> you just hear the music go dun 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 yeah. you guys Corey is zipped he is not saying a goddamn word
0: so obviously they call the attorney and the attorney tells them Look, yes, we've seen the guy. He may or may not have come in and bought $600,000 in gold coins. Gold coins!
1: (laughs) It's like the beginning of DuckTales when he's like, life is like a hurricane. And he's like swimming in the gold coins. Also, what store has $600,000 of gold coins? Do we want to talk about that? Like, he's like, do you have 600000 He's like, no, I got like 10000 He's like, nah, I need 600000 I know. That's a lot of GD gold, okay?
2: Then, out of the blue... McCormick and Young get the break they've been hoping for. So
0: now we jump to three years after their disappearance, you guys. Three years have gone by. The only
1: two people looking for them are this reporter and this P.I. It is so weird. So we're in June 1998. They get an anonymous call from someone named Bob Fry, who says, I know what happened to the O'Hares.
4: Sometime in June of 98, I got a call while seated at my desk here in the newsroom, and it was from a guy that didn't want to give me his name. And he started out by saying that he knew what had happened to the O'Hares, and that he someone else had disappeared with them.
0: Yeah, I loved it. At first, the guy was like, "Hi, I've got an anonymous tip. I'm not telling you my name. It's not yeah. going to happen." <laughs> One second later, it's like, "Girl, you sure you don't want to tell me your name? Fine, it's <laughs> Bob Fry. Fine, <laughs> you beat it out of me.
1: I'm up against the wall. It's
0: Bob Fry."
2: <laughs> the caller, who eventually identifies himself as Bob Fry, claims that his brother Danny was somehow involved in the O'Hares' disappearance and that Danny had been staying in Austin with a man named David Walters, who used to work for the O'Hares?
0: Just to, like, connect the dots, this guy who calls in in, like, anonymously, his name is Bob Fry, and his brother is Danny Fry. And Danny Fry had been staying with this guy that we now know is David Waters. David Waters had at one time worked for Madeline and her family at, like, the Atheist Association. And in the clip, you guys, the narrator says David Walters, but it's just because somebody said the name wrong. The name is David Waters. There's a lot of names, you guys, don't worry about it, the whole point of this chain is to connect David Waters and Madeline.
1: Right, so he started working for Madeline in 1994 but it turns out they didn't do a background check on him. He had a rap sheet a mile long. He started committing crimes when he was 17. He had done some crimes, you know some assault, um murder. You guys, he beat another teenager to death with a fence post. What the hell happened there?
0: The other thing too, we find out that when he got hired to work for Madeline he got hired as a typesetter. And I wrote, I don't know what a typesetter is, but it sounds like a job from the 1800s, no? Was he a (laughs) newsie?
2: David Waters began working at American Atheists in 1994 as a typesetter. Clever and outgoing... Madeline quickly promoted him to office manager, where he had access to bank accounts and other records.
0: David Waters gets promoted to office manager, where he like has access to like their bank accounts and shit. Madeline and her family go out of town for a weekend. They're like, David, girl, can you like hold down the fort? He's like, yeah, sure thing. They are not two seconds out the door. He is cleaning out their bank accounts. He's like, He steals every last penny.
2: When they returned, David had shut the office down. And he had stolen
4: $54,000 from their bank accounts.
1: Maybe they should have done a background check. They took him to court. He basically got a slap on the wrist. So Madeline has her pen in hand and she writes a strongly worded letter to the atheist newsletter.
5: She ripped him apart. She talked about how he had tied his mother up. She talked about how he had beat her with a broom. She talked about David Waters' criminal past of murder. And
0: yeah, and and she's like writing in this newsletter all about his like criminal past. So at one point he apparently tied up his own mother and beat her with a broom, which Lola is totally doing to you someday by the way.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, you're gonna be making a podcast about me.
0: Now we're back to where we left off a few minutes ago. So it's three years after the murders. David Waters, the one with like the murdery background who like stole all their money and then locked the door and change the key. A reporter friend is telling us that this guy, David Water, is like now speaking on behalf of the O'Hares. Remember, they've been missing for three years.
2: The smooth-talking ex-con is unofficially speaking for Madeleine O'Hare, convincing some people that his archenemy has fled the country.
4: He also wrote a 200-page book about the O'Hares' disappearance, in which he laid out the whole scenario of them going to New Zealand. So he was really setting up the press to go the wrong way the whole time.
0: Can I say one thing? The journalist McCormick, when he's telling us about the fact that this David Waters wrote a book, he's telling us the story about this guy writing a book. He burps in the middle of the telling of the story. And it's the kind of it was so disgusting, girl. It's like it was one of those like post-sandwich burps where like you've just had lunch one minute ago and you're talking and like you do that like Robert Durstian like you almost don't even notice you're burping. It made my gag reflex go, girl. I was like, you couldn't have had lunch after the interview, girl. ID called you and was like, hey, remember that cool thing you did? That story, that case that you cracked? We're gonna like make a documentary about it. Could you have lunch (laughs) after the documentary (laughs) crew leaves? Boys are gross. So remember that anonymous call that became quickly not anonymous. In that call, we learned about that guy, Danny Fry. And it's important to know two things here, you guys. Number one, we're going to find out that Danny Fry is one of the bad guys in the story. And number two, Danny Fry goes missing around the same time as the O'Hare family went missing. So there's something fishy there. And I also want to point out, you guys, they took the opportunity to drink shame Danny.
2: Danny also has a reputation as a heavy
0: drinker. We don't stand for that shit on this show. We don't stand for drink shaming, girl.
1: Also, not the point. Right. Like, there's so much going on here. Like, can we just stick to the topics at hand?
0: And so now the journalist and the PI are trying to connect Danny Fry to David Waters because the assumption is these two had something to do with the disappearance of Madeline and her family.
1: Right. So they get phone records and they do connect that Danny Fry and David Waters were, in fact, together in Texas. But they add someone else to the mix. Yes. So David... Has as an old buddy, Gary Carr, who just got out of 21 years in prison. And David's like, uh, hey, Gary, it's David. Sup? <laughs> and he's like, nothing. Just got out of um, prison for, a certain, you know, 21 years in prison for kidnapping, robbery, rape, the usual. He's like, cool. Do you want to go, like, do some stuff with us? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, w- what are you guys doing? So now Fry, Waters, and Carr. Okay, They are all together.
0: Right. And so these are our three bad guys. But one of these guys is not like the other two guys. Because according to the cops, David Fry is like a good bad guy. So the cops want to talk to him, but he's nowhere to be found.
5: Danny Fry had a conscience. And we thought it was awfully interesting that the one guy that's probably going to talk has also fallen off the face of the earth.
0: So P.I. Tim and the reporter are really looking into these bad guys, right? They're trying to figure out where they were at the time the O'Hares went missing.
2: Tracing calls among all three suspected kidnappers and their girlfriends, Tim Young also discovers the Warren Inn, the San Antonio hideout where he thinks the O'Hares were kept.
0: So what happens here is that, like, they're looking at all of the phone records between the three bad guys, and they realize they're all centered around this place called the Warren Inn, and we see, like, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a shitty hotel. And it's right in the middle of that one-mile radius where the PI and the journalists have been able to trace the O'Hare family, the missing family. So to really bottom line it here, guys, the three bad guys and the O'Hare family were in the same place at the same time, which means that the bad guys had to have kidnapped the O'Hare family.
5: We still have our square mile grid where the O'Hare's were. And then all of a sudden we started putting waters in that same square mile, Fry in that same square mile, and Gary Carr in that same square mile.
0: And so the PI and the journalist are like, okay, we gotta do something about this. And so the journalist and the PI have very differing ideas of what they're gonna do. They have a fight.
4: Tim really didn't want me to write the story at that point. He and I had a real difference of opinion because a private investigator's responsibility, if he knows a crime is committed, is to go to the authorities. A newspaper reporter's responsibility is to write the story.
0: Yeah, the journalist wants to write the story. He thinks that he is, like, morally obligated to write the story about it. And the PI is like, no, girl, this is above our pay grade. We got to take this shit to the police.
1: McCormick says they parted paths.
0: So... At that point, we parted paths. That's
4: when we had our divorce. I
1: was like, oh, he mixed up his metaphors, parted ways, took different. Like, I was like, (laughs) oh. He's like, can I take that again? They're like, no, 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 we can't. We're just going to say parted paths. That's not the metaphor.
0: So what happens is August 13th, 1998, the P.I. writes a report, a full detailed report of what they've decided happened. Like, police, you didn't do an investigation. We did it for you. Here it is on the silver platter. And he says, he's like, he looks at the camera and he's like,
5: I literally thought within minutes I'd be getting a phone call. Nothing. Next day. Nothing.
0: And so then he's like, well, then I contacted the FBI. And then the announcer's like, yeah, but girl, the FBI didn't do anything either.
1: And then Tim, Mr. Accountable, says,
5: McCormick had said law enforcement wasn't going to do anything about it. McCormick was right.
1: So then we
5: learn that on August 16th, the story runs.
1: So after the story runs, we then find out in 1995 in Dallas, detectives had found a mutilated body by the river.
2: They actually decapitated the head and cut off the hands. By removing the head and hands, the killer or killers have successfully hidden the identity of their victim.
0: I was imagining being the person who came upon that scene.
1: Can you imagine? No, it seems like something out of a really gory Godfather movie or something. Obviously, they said, this is how we identify someone and all of their identifying features being fingerprints and obviously a face.
0: And like dental records and all of that. Right.
1: So this was in 1995 in Dallas. So that sort of case went unresolved. But every year they revisit the story and it just kept remaining a mystery but we find out that that week that man we know it was they knew it was a white man was found in the river it was the same week the O'Hares and Danny Fry went missing so you
4: had an anonymous middle-aged white male body without head and hands dumped there the same weekend the O'Hares and Danny Fry disappeared so I thought why not
5: could this headless handless corpse be Danny Fry.
0: And so the journalist was like he saw the story and all of a sudden it was like ding 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 like I wonder if this headless handless corpse that they found the same week that Danny Fry and the O'Hares went missing I wonder like could that be Danny Fry?
1: Right. So they get DNA from Bob Fry, the non-anonymous caller. The
0: caller who gave up his name pretty fast if you ask me. <laughs> He gave it up pretty fast, you guys. He
1: really did. I'm Um, sorry,
0: you said you did. Sir, you said you didn't want to give up your name? It's Bob
1: Fry. It's Bob Fry. I'm Bob Fry. (laughs) 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 He, like, knocked his coffee over. His wife was like, what? But they use Bob Fry in order to get DNA for Danny, and they do confirm that that body in the river in Dallas was Danny Fry.
0: So that happens. All of a sudden, the cops are like, holy shit, that investigation you guys did for us, that's apparently legit. Now, everyone's involved.
2: The discovery of a suspected
4: kidnapper murdered jumpstarts the stalled case. And once you have Danny Fry up there on the Trinity River without his head in his hands, there's no more hope that the O'Hare's are alive anyway.
0: The only question is, where are the bodies? You could have said that differently, girl. I
1: know, I heard that too. I watched it twice and both times I was like, ugh. (laughs) Um...
0: This guy, McCormick, the journalist called David Waters. On
1: a recorded line! I know, I know, and we have it! Uh,
0: like, I feel like McCormick, the journalist, like, knew he only had a minute before this guy hangs up on him, so he's like, girl, were you in San Antonio in 95? Did you used to work for the O'Hares? Did you kill them? Girl, just tell me, did you kill them or no?
4: Mr. Waters, yeah. John McCormick, I worked for the Express News down in San Antonio. Yeah? Hey, I'm looking into a story here about a fellow disappeared a couple of years ago in San Antonio. Uh, may have known him, a Danny Fry. Were you doing anything in San Antonio that month of September '95? Not that I know of. That's Did you not... buy a car there? White right El Dorado, maybe? Yeah, I bought a car once. Yeah. In San Antonio? Yeah. You worked for the the atheists there too. Is that is that so? Were you once uh, working for the O'Hare's? I had it one time. Yeah.
1: Well. Wait, but the, he goes, "Were you in San Antonio?" And he goes, "Ah, not that I know of." <laughs> <laughs> like that is the no. most obtuse. Answer. Yeah, not that I know of. I know. But like, maybe if you had proof, I could agree. But not that I know of. And he
0: laughs. When McCormick asked him straight up, like, girl, did you have anything to do with the disappearance of Danny Fry or the O'Hares? The guy laughs. Do you have any idea what happened to the O'Hares? <laughs> Well, I've got, yeah, I've got a good idea. So now the FBI is involved.
1: I love how the FBI is like, Oh, you got a K oh oh yeah, no, 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 now we wanna play. Now we wanna play. Can we play? Yeah, I know. Fuck
0: off. I we called you a month ago, girl. Yeah. Uh so they call the the FBI gets involved. They they track down Gary Carr. Remember, Gary Carr is one of the three bad guys.
1: He's the fun guy who really likes jail. He just got out of jail and he's like really in the thick of it again. He loves jail.
0: Um, and so they track down this Gary Carr. They go to his house. House and like this guy literally opens the door being like yeah I did it I did it what do you want to know like he yeah. sings like a yeah. fucking canary this guy
1: he's just another one that like it really wasn't hard to get information out no. of them. they're like tell us what you did he's like no tell us what you did okay I did it
0: he said
4: Waters had hired him and uh, he, he did what Waters told him. He didn't ask any questions, but he went on to say that he did believe they were dead, that Waters had said he had killed him, but he didn't know how he had done it. So
1: they have enough to go raid Waters' apartment in March of 1999, and uh, they don't find much, you guys. They find a gun. They find a bunch of the organization papers, but it's kind of not enough, so the only thing they can charge him on is possession of an illegal firearm.
0: But the Thing about it, this is the thing that always kicks people in the ass. Soon though, his former girlfriend and a prison informant are talking to the FBI. Like, you know, this guy was not a good boyfriend. Did not remember an anniversary, right. wasn't great on Valentine's Day, never, never made a reservation, no. always left the seat up. Remember when I was at your house and I left the seat up and you yelled at me in front of my family? Yeah. No,
1: I didn't. What did I do, Patrick? Tell the truth. What did I do? What did I do? Well, you
0: basically took my nose and rubbed it in no. it.
1: No. <laughs> you walked out and I said, Did you just use the bathroom? And then you said yes. And I just Pointed Like, the grim goddamn reaper. Oh, my God. Oh,
0: and so, like, the girlfriend, who knows the shit the girlfriend had on him, but it was enough. Because the FBI is saying to us, even with just, like, the one gun charge they had him on, it was enough time. He's 52 years old or whatever. They're like, just with this one charge, he was going to be in jail for the rest of his life. So this guy, they make a deal.
2: Looking at hard time in a Texas state prison, Waters angles to serve his sentence in a more comfortable federal penitentiary.
3: Part of that deal was that he had to give a full confession as to what happened during this Crime His whole deal was to
1: get into the good, cushy prison—the one where like the remote control is like just velcroed and not like stapled to the table. <laughs> That's all he
0: wanted. Yeah, and the deal is that he's got to tell them the details of what happened to the O'Hares, and he sings like a canary, you guys. And we learn, you know, August twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five, he kidnapped the O'Hares at gunpoint.
1: Ooh, yeah.
2: After kidnapping the O'Hares at gunpoint, Waters, Fry, and Carr drive them from Austin to San Antonio, confining them at the Warren Inn. Here, the kidnappers lay low until the O'Hare's can empty their bank accounts, including some $600,000 from a New Zealand bank. With the O'Hare's cash, Waters plans to have John Murray purchase the untraceable gold coins.
0: And they drive from Austin to San Antonio. They confine them at the Warren, and it's all the shit that our PI friend and the investigator figured out on their own. So, like, Waters decides when they get them to this, like, seedy hotel, they've got to lay low until they can empty their bank accounts, including the $600,000 from New Zealand. Now, look, this is not what we're talking about right now, but... We never really get an answer on that $600,000 in the bank account in New Zealand. Like, I know. did the atheist actually steal that money and put it in that bank account and this guy knew about it? Or was it legit? Like, no one, we never find out.
1: I mean, that's like never answered. And also, why it was sent offshore was also never answered. But Waters has to get the $600,000 back from New Zealand. And that takes a month, you guys. So they're waiting for this money to come while they're staying in the inn. So there's this weird weird thing. So remember, John is the son of Madeline, and he's basically taken orders from this really indignant, strong woman his whole life. It's
0: like, it's our dynamic. You guys, imagine John is me, and he lives with Ellen.
1: Right. Like, I've just been barking orders at you for the past 20 years, and you, like, you know, sit, stay.
0: I just do what you say, because the alternative is too terrifying to think about, for example. Yeah,
1: obviously. I'm like, give me a podcast. And you're like, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) give me Daily Harvest. You're like,
0: okay. Um Shoveling them from my freezer into your bag You guys, it really happened And she, she thought we weren't going to see She was stealing Daily Harvest out of my freezer while I was home You're a monster
1: Okay, so <laughs> John has this weird connection to Waters He like believes that everything is going to be okay
5: Now David Waters, one of the smart things he did Was he didn't deal with Madeline, he dealt with John I believe that John Murray trusted David Waters Now during this time, John was allowed to, to come and go as he wanted. He went to a lot of places.
0: This is the most insane thing. And the FBI is saying, like, the smartest thing that Waters ever did was, like, quote, befriend John yeah. and let him believe that he was, like, free to come and go. And th- Because Waters is thinking on his feet. He's like, I got these three crazy atheists. I thought I only had to keep them for two weeks before murdering them. I got to deal with these guys for a month now? Right. And the FBI guy says, like, there is no good answer for why if, like, his mother and his daughter— are being held at gunpoint in this motel down the road, and he's allowed to walk on the street by himself, like, why he's not going to the cops, the only answer they can give is because he's been so browbeaten by this woman, please. You think I didn't hear the misogyny in that? He's been so browbeaten by this woman, his mother, that he's, like, used to living like this. Like, this is just normal for him. Right.
1: So once they do get the $600,000 wire transfer from New Zealand, he's like, hey, real quick... Will you take this money, just this $600,000 cash? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to put it in this bucket or whatever. Right. And just do me a favor and go get $600,000 worth of gold coins real fast.
0: You guys, this is where the gold coins thing happens. Remember, he's got a super big beard. He stinks. Yeah. And he's going to be scented to get these gold coins. So
1: once they have the gold coins, Waters has no more use for the
3: O'Hares. Those gold coins, we believe, were picked up the day the O'Hares were murdered. Once Dave, David and Gary and Danny had the gold coins in their possession. They no longer had a need for the O'Hare. And we
0: get, we're not going to play any of this, but like we get this like really graphic telling of how, because remember, Waters confessed to the whole thing, so he's telling them everything. hes tell, He kills John first and then he kills the mom and the granddaughter. It's fucking brutal and awful. And they roll them up in like the bedding from the motel. Also like, they were in this motel room for an entire month.
1: And again how no one saw this, they put them in a car cargo van they drive them back to Austin because remember at this point they're in the Warren Inn in San Antonio yeah they drive them back to Austin to a storage facility and then they call their buddy Gary now remember the reason nothing can be tracked back to David is David brilliantly used Gary as a shield Gary was the one who rented all the hotel rooms rented the car yeah. bought everything so he was like hey Gare, um
0: <laughs> hey girl hey
1: hey I know you just got out of prison for 21 years could you do me one more favor yeah I have these bodies.
2: At a self-storage facility, Waters claims that he and Danny Fry both offer Gary Carr an extra $25,000. If he'll do the dirty work.
0: Yeah. And this is where we learn that, like, they pay Gary $25,000 to, like, go into this, like, storage facility and, like, dismember these bodies and put them in drums. You guys, we're seeing a reenactment of it. And, like, on the screen, it says reenactment. And I went, We know it's a reenactment, girl. (laughs) We know that Gary didn't, like, take home video footage of this and then
1: give it to IDD.
0: (laughs) It says reenactment.
1: Oh, really? (gasps) Someone's at home going, Did you see this? They have footage. Oh no wait. Oh no, oh no wait. That says reenactment. Do you know what? That says reenactment.
0: <laughs> they're in the booth and they're like, this looks really realistic. We should really let them know this is not real. You guys, it's a reenactment.
1: Does anybody know how to do a Chiron that says reenactment? They'll know it's reenactment. No, no, we should tell them. <laughs> this is good. Sally, the set dresser, made this look amazing.
0: No, I think they're going to know you guys. I think they're oh, going to be able to figure it out. No, they're not going to be. No, did she say they're They're not going to be able to figure it out? Again, I love that the ID edit bays, they're all spaced like 89 feet apart. They have to just scream down the hallway. <laughs> they're not going to be able to figure it out. You No, we really have to put it in. It says reenactment. <laughs> Is reenactment hyphenated? I don't know. Do we get a dictionary in here? Anyone know if there's a hyphen in reenactment? Oh my god, I'm sweating. So, like, after mutilating these corpses and stuffing them into barrels, Danny starts to like freak out. The
2: kidnapping, murder, and gore is getting to Danny Fry.
3: Danny started to become concerned in conversations with Danny's fiance at the time. We've confirmed that his whole tone changed. He went from a happy-go-lucky, gregarious, honey, I'm gonna come back with all this money kind of guy, to a very solemn, sad, fellow
0: so this is when David Waters like well this guy's got to go too. remember Danny is the guy that like they find like with no head and no hands right they literally trick Danny into going for like a walk in the woods where they murder him in the middle of the woods and then dismember his body and leave it by the creek it's fucking crazy
1: yeah so then we learn again that David Waters has confessed to all this
0: yeah it's six years after the crime so like he's been sitting for like days and days telling his story to the fbi and part of the deal is that he's got to actually take them to the area where he buried the barrels with the dismembered bodies of the o'hare family and so he did and then like this fbi lady does this thing that i cannot i fucking hate it when they do this in these docuseries she's like the thing about david waters he was brilliant
3: david waters is one of the most intelligent individuals i've ever met Calm, cool, collective, charismatic, but he is also a psychopath. And
0: I'm like, shut up. Why are you doing this? Like, why are we giving him a
1: compliment? Yeah, no, I I agree. And I actually, for that matter, don't actually think he was that smart. Like, he was in and out of prison for years. I think the only smart thing he did was maybe getting John on his side, because if John had had an inkling that things were going to go awry, he could have gone to the cops, but he didn't. He kept going back to the Warren Inn. Yeah, because
0: my- the RPI, the RPI friend, he makes the best point. We've got this lady calling him a genius. He was so smart for like creating the perfect plan and nobody ever looked into it and whatever. And he's like, he didn't create the perfect plan, you guys. He picked the perfect victim.
5: David Waters didn't have to come up with the perfect plan to get away with kidnapping and murder. All he needed were the perfect victims. You think about it. Nobody looked for these folks. That's the perfect victim.
1: And that's true. Nobody did. I mean, these two guys, I have never heard of this. They're just two essentially civilians who cracked this case. So then it turns out that David did go to prison. And two years later, in 2004, he died in prison of lung cancer. Bye!
0: Bye! The best part of the ending was we learned, you guys, he did all of this shit. He had to live with these people in a hotel room for a month. Like, this guy is the world's worst guy garbage but you know the whole idea was he was gonna get these six hundred thousand dollars in gold coins you guys like the day after he got the coins his little storage unit got broken into and the money got stolen he never got the money
2: david waters never got to enjoy the gold he so patiently stole not long after he stashed the six hundred thousand dollars in coins in a self-storage unit it was burglarized a random break-in by another group of thieves
0: Can you, he did all of that for nothing these people died they were brutally murdered for nothing the guy never got the money and it ends the way it begins it's like a round table of being like so the thing about madeline o'hare was she was just a really fucking terrible person one shouldn't
4: forget that even though madeline marie o'hare was a a vulgar loud person she was also very much right about the issues she was a person who was involved with a pivotal lawsuit It established the constitutionality of the separation of church and state, which I hold to be one of the fundamental planks of of our democracy.
0: I mean, she was on the right side of history with basically everything she said, but, like, she was no fun at a cocktail party.
1: That's what they say about her. Also, it should be said that Carr, who got, like, pulled into it, he is also serving a life sentence. All right, say something funny to end it. Oh, my God, I— I don't know. My boobs are huge. <laughs> I honestly, I, this was, I mean, I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, you guys, episode nine, girl, we did it. Are you still having
1: fun? Do you still want to do this with me? I don't know. Call me in an hour. I need a nap. <laughs> I really do. <laughs>
0: You guys, don't forget, join our Facebook group, girl. I don't know the name of it. What is
1: it called? You're never gonna learn. I know. You're never gonna learn. It's called Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discession Group. Come by. Everyone is super fun. We talk about things. We post things. I post old pictures of Patrick. I tell you old (laughs) stories. It's a roast.
0: Also, get on our Instagram, you guys. It's The Disappeared Pod. We go live every Friday night, 6 p.m. just to hang out with you guys, talk about the case, just like be together for
1: half an hour on a Friday. Who doesn't Love that girl. It's pretty fun. And you can follow Patrick on his social media, which is PatrickHines on Instagram and PatrickHines on Twitter. I guess Twitter is still a thing.
0: Apparently, you can follow Ellen Marsh on the Twitter, at Ellen Marsh. Same thing on the Instagram. Guys, my campaign to get Ellen the swipe up on Insta is still going. Go follow her, you guys. We have enough listeners that you can, you guys could get her to the swipe up like today if you all decided to do it. Why
1: am I so pathetic? When did <laughs> life start going downhill for me? Approximately. You
0: guys, we are edited by. The very talented Henry Lavoie. I want to tell you also that you can watch all episodes of Disappeared on ID. Go, go do it. Watch along with us. Um,
1: and we love you. Do we have anything else we need to say this week, girl? No, I'm exhausted. I'm really exhausted. I know. You're looking at me on Facetime. I just took my hair down. I'm a, I know. I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> you guys, if you're loving the
0: show, tell a friend about us. I love growing this audience. I want more people to find us and get into this community with us. And that's it. That's my last request. I love you, and I love you, girl. I love you so much. <laughs>
1: All right, bye. Bye. Oh, I think I aged. I think I just aged. The thing that sort of raised flags with, like, the anarchist, not anarchist, what is it? The thing that raised... <laughs> um. Do you think P.I. Tim knows P.I. Penny? <laughs> All right. Don't worry. I thought the sign said germologist. I thought this was taking a left turn. It said gemologist. Ducktails. Woo! Tales of daring do good and duck Woo! I am spent. Like I feel like I just like jogged a mile. Is a mile far? <laughs> I don't know. Should I say more? Should I be more hyperbolic? I feel. I just jogged ten. Mi- is I I don't know. <laughs> How far is a mile? Anyone know how far a mile is? Are you tired after donning a mile or no? <laughs> no, say something for five miles.
0: You guys, we are going to beat this joke. It's my favorite bit that we do. We're going to do it 800 <laughs> times in every
1: recording. I hope you love it. Everyone's just going to, like, unsubscribe. <laughs>